Well, hello everyone and welcome to Gospel Community Providence. We are a small community of Jesus followers in Providence, Rhode Island. Our goal in life is to be the family of God, redeemed and transformed by Jesus, living out God's mission in our culture. You're listening to content created specifically for our church community, and the thoughts and teachings that you'll find here come from a study of the Bible that is informed by some of the best thinkers and followers of Jesus today and throughout church history. Just a heads up, you may hear a variety of voices and distractions and noises in the background. This is because we are a church of families with real lives full of children, noise, and interruptions. We celebrate these noises, however, because they remind us that real life is not a perfectly curated moment, but is full of opportunities to worship Jesus through the messy, unflattering, and mundane. In addition to this, you may hear the voices and comments of various audience members throughout the teaching. While this often causes our time to go a little long, it also deepens and enriches our time together as we discuss what we are learning and reflect on how to live it out. So bear with us. We are not professionals, but we are imperfect people who love and serve a perfect God. Let's go. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Thank you for reading that, Zeke. Um, well, good morning, everyone. I spent the first couple of minutes hanging out in our uh, child care. Uh, helping Brittany care for Ellie and Hilda while uh, uh, while John Henry was able to lead us. So uh, that is actually an area where uh, the, as we start coming back together, we're going to need some help with. So if you have a passion for kids uh, and love investing in children and love spending time with children, um, then we would love your help, especially once we're back in person. But even now, um, we're, we want to start discipling our kids and, and working alongside of our parents to, uh, to help disciple them. So if you have a passion for that kind of stuff, please come talk to us. Come talk to me or Eric. Uh, we'd love to talk through and just dream about what that could look like uh, together. Um, so for those of you that are, are pretty familiar with, with me and Brittany, uh, you may have heard this story before, uh, and that's okay. If you are newer, this is going to be new to you. Uh, but uh, back in 2008-2009, when I was in college, um, I took a year off from school. I, actually, my sophomore year, I didn't attend school. I, I actually partook in a, uh, a ministry program that our school put on. Um, it was, there was no classes. It was a specialized program for one year that was just for, for guys that wanted to uh, pursue ministry in some way. And so I uh, applied, got accepted, had to raise some support towards it and, and, uh, and took part in this program for a year. Uh, normally, the, the school would select nine to 12 guys to take part in this program together. And uh, you needed to have some sort of musical ability to be able to be on the team. But although uh, they, they, they claimed that it wasn't required, uh, at my uh, interview, they told me you have to be able to either carry a tune uh, or carry a piano. Uh, and I thought that was a funny little joke, you know, carry a tune or carry a piano. Uh, they actually made us carry like four pianos that year. And those suckers are heavy. Um, 
So you didn't have to have musical ability, but it was helpful, especially since we were going around putting on concerts for people. Um, so those that didn't have musical abilities would, would, uh, would actually help out with uh, sound and other areas uh, as needed. So about probably about 60% of our year we spent on the road traveling uh, all over the East Coast, going from church to church, from city to city, uh, putting on concerts, trying to be a blessing to people, trying to minister to people. Um, and then the other 40% of the time, we would just uh, take part in other ministry opportunities that were just designed to help us uh, just experience a, a wide spectrum of ministry. So as you can imagine, uh, there's a lot of travel involved that year. Um, you know, we, the concerts that we would put on were, were free for, for the churches. They were free for attendance. And so the only thing that our, our group would, would ask in return was uh, some housing, a uh, place to sleep for the night, uh, and uh, some food. So a meal or two for our group. Um, and so if you can imagine with me, uh, most nights were spent sleeping in host homes. Uh, or on the occasion, uh, on the rare occasion, we would sleep on some church pews if nothing else was available. Uh, at one time, I remember sleeping on a gymnasium floor. That wasn't very comfortable. Um, Food-wise, I mean, we've got kind, loving, generous uh, church ladies that are providing casseroles and all sorts of other potluck-ish uh, meals that you can, uh, you can imagine and so every now and then, uh, one of the churches would actually splurge, uh, and we'd get to get some pizza or, or takeout uh, for, for, the, for the group. Um, this year was uh, just filled with uncertainty, right? Uh, our, the leader of our group kind of knew the schedule, knew the plan, knew where we were staying. But the rest of us, there was too many changes that happened every single day. And so we kind of just went with the flow, Right? You found out that day where you were going, where you were sleeping, what you were eating. It was just kind of a, an exercise in trust. Right, You never quite knew what tomorrow would bring. You never quite knew where you'd be sleeping, what you would be eating. Um, but I, even as I reflect on this year, man, some of my biggest spiritual breakthroughs happened uh, that year. Right. Some of my biggest uh, moments of just spiritual growth with Jesus happened this year. And it has a lot to do with the fact that there was nothing else going on. It was a year focused on ministry and, and my walk with Jesus. And, and there's a lot of free time in the car. And so I would spend my time reading or listening to, to sermons uh, from other pastors. And uh, it gave me uh, just a ton of time to focus on my walk with Jesus and what he wanted to do in my heart. Uh, so on my particular team, there were nine of us. Um, nine guys that were not necessarily the best of friends. Uh, we came from very different backgrounds, different personalities, different temperaments, and um, there was some tension between us at times. Uh, you know, these were not necessarily guys that I would have been best friends with before this group, uh, but as we got to know one another, we got closer and became uh, better friends. Um, you know, when I think about Jesus traveling around with his 12 disciples, I actually, like a lot of my memories from this year kind of fill in the blanks of what that kind of probably looked like. Nine guys in tight quarters traveling around, just us. Um, that, that really gives me some like very good visual pictures of what I think Jesus' disciples experienced. Um, you know, there were, there were moments of, of just depth and connection, right, where we just really connected with one another. Uh, there were moments where we were just uh, having fun and being able to laugh. And then there's also moments where we had disagreements uh, and fights and uh, conflict with one another. 
the dynamics of just being a team, plus the, uh, the challenges of being on the road together, uh, plus the experiences of ministry that we were having. I mean, they, they, they created this really, truly life-changing, eye-opening experience for me. I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned uh, that year, one of the biggest things that Jesus wanted to point out and and, and challenge me on uh, was just how me-centered my thinking was. I don't know about you, but I, I I found that I spend a lot of time thinking about myself. Right? and looking out for myself. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with self-care. There's nothing wrong with uh, taking time to make sure that you are healthy and uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically. That's important. Uh, there is something wrong with being self-centered, though. So, uh, And it wasn't just me. All right? I, I observed even in our group that when we would be uh, uh, you know, assigning host homes or assigning beds, there was some angling that would happen to try to get the best bed. Right? When it was time for a meal, there was some positioning that was happening to try to get the, the, first, the first piece of pizza or the biggest piece of chicken or whatever. Uh, and so uh, there, was, there was just this natural tendency uh, towards looking out for myself. Right? And if you and I would be willing to be honest with one another... Uh, If we were truly honest with one another, I think we would all agree that this temptation is something that we all deal with, right? How do I take care of me, right? Maybe it's name dropping in order to get a better seat somewhere, right? Maybe it's positioning ourselves to look better than we really are, Uh, or just working to try to get other people to see how great I am. And sometimes even I think we, we try to bring others down who uh, make us look bad. I think Jesus' disciples are wrestling with this very same self-centeredness uh, as we look at our passage this morning. So I want to pray. Uh, I want to uh, read our scripture again. And I want to look at how Jesus graciously and lovingly encourages his disciples to think and be different. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the scriptures. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to read the word together and to sing together and to uh, reorient ourselves around you together. I pray that this morning would not just be uh, a routine thing that we do because we always do it, but that it would be a rhythm of life uh, for us. That it would be a time of uh, just... Uh, aligning ourselves with you, with your truth. with uh, the, I pray that the Holy Spirit would point out areas in our lives where we are not walking the way of Jesus. And would you just convict us and challenge us and move us towards holiness. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our short passage today. Uh, verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. I don't think they were arguing, you're the greatest. No, you're the greatest. No, you're the greatest. Right? I don't think that was the argument. I think the argument looked a little bit different. Uh, Matthew and Mark actually spend a little bit more time uh, describing this scenario. So they have a couple more details that they fill in for us. Luke kind of blazes through it. He's, he's trying to wrap up a section here. As soon as we finish this passage, we're actually in a whole new section of the book of Luke. Um, and so he's, Luke is just very brief uh, as he describes us. But Mark, Mark tells us the disciples were actually traveling, 
right? They were journeying from one place to another, and in the process, they kind of get into this conversation that turns into an argument, and it almost sounds like they're trying to like keep it hush, hush from Jesus. They don't want Jesus to overhear them arguing about this, uh, but Jesus hears them nonetheless, and so uh, they, they uh, when they get to their location, they decide that Jesus decides he's going to address the, the issue. Uh, we're not really told why this argument broke out, but it's not really hard to read between the lines. All right, all of the disciples have been walking with Jesus for quite a while now. Uh, they've had some incredible ministry opportunities. They've gotten to see Jesus do incredible things, and they've actually gotten to see uh, God working through them in incredible ways. Uh, but Peter, James, and John, they had an exclusive, very unique, very special encounter with Jesus on a mountaintop. All right, and when they came down, if you remember, nine of our disciples had a very public and, and kind of embarrassing failure trying to cast out a demon out of a boy. And so naturally, uh, this led to some tension and positioning in the group, right? Who is really the most important of us? Who is the best? And so Jesus addresses this, verse 47. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is the least among you all is the one who is great. All right, for a while now, the disciples have been hearing Jesus talking about this thing called the kingdom of God. And he's trying to teach them about faith. He's trying to teach them about walking in the way of, uh, of God, walking in the way of the kingdom. Uh, and so the disciples are thinking to themselves, all right, so a kingdom uh, naturally has a king. So that's got to be Jesus. He's going to be the king. Uh, a kingdom also has some hierarchy in there. You've got some leaders and some followers. You've got some folks that are the elites and in charge and others that are just following. So someone's got to be the right hand uh, side of, of Jesus. So which one of us is going to be that person? What the disciples fail to realize is that they're working off of the wrong value system. Right? They are working off of the wrong value system. And church, this is important. If you base your life decisions on the wrong value system, you will find yourself pursuing that which is ultimately worthless. Right? Listen to that again. If you base your life if you base your life decisions on the wrong value system, you will find yourself pursuing that which is ultimately worthless. And we see people doing this all the time. Right? Our values, the kingdoms of, of the values of the kingdom of God and the values of the values of the kingdom of earth are not the same. Right? And I think we need to be careful to examine our hearts and not to assume that the, my values right now automatically align with God's values. I, we have to be discerning and wise and read the scriptures and compare our values to make sure, am I valuing truly that which is of the kingdom of God? Or do my values line up more with the kingdoms of earth? Jesus sees this error uh, and he decides to bring up a little child as a visual lesson. In Jesus' day, kids were about as low as you could go on the social totem pole. All right, they were loved. Kids are loved. All right, but they didn't really contribute much to society. 
right? They, were, they, were, they weren't very important politically or socially. Even uh, the child of a king, for example, would have a servant who was like a tutor or uh, was like a master to them that, would, uh, that they had to submit to and obey. So it didn't really matter whether you were a, a rich child or a poor child. You weren't really that significant socially, right? And I, I get this. I love Ellie. She's the joy of my life, but she doesn't really contribute much around the house. I tell her all the time. Okay, she, uh, she doesn't really help with the bottom line at the Moreau's household. Right? She is a joy to have around, but I understand that. Right? It appears, Jesus is saying here, uh, that receiving someone as insignificant as a child in his name is on par with receiving God himself. Right? There's no perks, there's no benefits from receiving a child. And yet Jesus is saying, it's like receiving God himself. And Jesus' point is this. In God's value system, in the value system of the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be great, you actually need to forget about yourself. All right, you need to devote yourself to serving those that can never repay you. All right, there may not be any social benefit to doing that. There may not be any reward for doing this. Right? There may not be any earthly gains to be had. And yet, this is how you become great in the kingdom of God. This is what Christians uh, for centuries, uh, have, what Christians have called the upside down kingdom. Right? Why is it upside down? This is way before Stranger Things, okay? Uh, it's because it feels upside down from the values of our culture. Right? Instead of using people to get ahead, you give away your privilege so that others can get ahead. Right? Instead of looking out for numero uno, right, you look out for those around you. Instead of trying to claw my way uh, in front of everyone else, I help others get ahead instead. And... Guys, as completely upside down as this seems, Jesus, I think, understood that this is the key to true living. Right? If you want to become the greatest, you must become the least. I love that this, uh, this, Jesus' reaction here it doesn't actually seem like a rebuke. I don't know if it seems like a rebuke to you. It doesn't really seem like a rebuke to me. Right? He's not mad at them. He's not yelling at them. Right? He's not reaming them out for having the wrong perspective. Right? He is simply redefining what it means to be great. He's redefining greatness for them. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City. As he's talking about uh, the greatness uh, of uh, what it means to be great in the kingdom of God, he says this, uh, the greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who has come the lowest. I'm gonna read that again. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the one who has come the lowest. Right? Is there anyone in history that you can think of that has come lower than Jesus Christ? Right? Philippians tells us that he was the form of God, and yet he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, and so he humbled himself, emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, right? to step from being God to being human, to being a servant, 
was incredibly uh, humbling. Right? Jesus came lower than anyone else. And so according to the value system of the kingdom of God, Jesus was modeling for us this is what it means to be great. The disciples, they thought that Jesus was great because of his power and his authority over demons and nature and diseases. The real reason why Jesus was great was because of his incredible humility. Right, this becomes even more evident in verses 49 and 50. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he, would, he did not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. And I know that these may seem like they're two separate scenarios with two uh, very different uh, points, but they actually reveal the same exact heart issue. This self-centeredness, this looking out for myself, this value system that is flipped upside down from what God values, right? John's confession, it reveals that their value system wasn't really even yet aligned with that of Jesus, right? We saw some rando, he was casting out demons, he was using your name, uh, but he wasn't a part of our group, so we decided that we were going to shut him down. All right, don't forget that a couple of verses earlier, uh, nine of the disciples couldn't cast out a demon because they didn't have enough faith. And yet there's a random guy, he's not even a part of their group that's casting out demons in Jesus' name, which Jesus tells us you can't do unless you have faith. Mm. Jesus tells them, knock it off, guys. Seriously. This guy is not, clearly he's not against you. He's clearly got the faith to do it, so let him do it. I wish I could say that the disciples, they got, they got the message. They picked up what Jesus was laying down. They adjusted their value system and they moved forward in, in holiness and sanctification. But that is not the story here. Right? They will actually struggle with this issue again and again and again. This idea of positioning themselves and self-centeredness and trying to, um, trying to take the, the best seat in the kingdom of heaven. At one point, James and John actually sent mom uh, to go talk to Jesus on their behalf, hoping that mom can convince Jesus to, to give him a special seat in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and that doesn't go over too well for them. Right? The other disciples find out, they get frustrated and angry at one another, and the argument continues. I think this argument actually continues up until uh, the Last Supper. Right? At the Last Supper, on the night before Jesus was going to be crucified, this argument comes up one last time. Right? The disciples are sitting around uh, a dinner table. They're, they're, Jesus is teaching them about the, the new covenant and he's sharing uh, the bread and the wine with them as a, as a sign of the new covenant. And in the process of all of this, uh, and the argument comes up again. Who's gonna be the greatest? Talk about bad timing. Right? Who's gonna be the greatest? Right? Who's gonna have the privileged seat next to Jesus and so as they are arguing about this and going back and forth, uh, Jesus quietly gets up. Uh, he takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now we don't, we don't get the significance of this. Like if we were in the same room together and I started washing each of your feet, I think you would, we would at least understand like the awkwardness of that. Okay, but we don't really get the significance of this because we don't have this 
practice in our, in our, in our culture today. Uh, but in Jesus' day, this was an important task. Uh, the streets were dirty, they were filthy, but it was also the least desirable task. Right? This is the task that was reserved for servants and slaves. It was dirty, it was unclean. It was so gross and so humiliating that not a single person at this meal, not a servant, not a disciple, nobody volunteered to do it. And as Jesus is washing their feet, he says this. This is Luke chapter 22, verse 25. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. He's saying, listen, people who do not follow the way of, of, of God, the, the kingdom of heaven, the people that don't have that same value system, yeah, they lord authority over one another. They try to control one another. They try to uh, position themselves and get on top of one another, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and let the leader as the one, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater uh, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Jesus is using an argu- a logical argument here. Who's more important? Is it the person that's sitting at the table paying for the meal or is it the person that's serving the person at the table? And from an earthly perspective, of course, the guy that's sitting down, that's the more important one. But Jesus then twists that and says, but I am the one who is among you who serves. And if Jesus, who is the greatest of all, is serving the people around him, how much more should we? Right, true greatness comes when we forget about ourselves and we begin to put one another first. Uh, I want to also make a note here. Uh, becoming the least does not mean that I skewer myself or, or, or try to embarrass myself or put myself down in front of others. That's not what we're talking about here, right? That's, that would still be a me-focused approach, right? It literally means not thinking about myself at all. It means putting the needs of others before my own. It means thinking of others as more important than myself. That is following the way of Jesus, Going back to my story from college, um, so I was starting to feel convicted as the year was going on about just how self-centered I was, uh, how me-focused I was, how so often I would just try to look out for myself. And as I'm reading the scriptures and and learning about this upside-down kingdom and this value system that's different than what I see going on in my heart, I decided, I, I made a very important decision. It's about halfway through the year made a very important decision that I would try spending the rest of my year practicing putting the needs of others before my own. And this is, this may seem silly to some of you, but on a practical level, what it looked like was I I got the last piece of pizza, right? The runt, whatever was left over, that's what I would eat, right? I would, uh, when when we were picking host homes or picking beds, I would let everyone else pick first and I'd take whatever was left over I was trying not to make a big scene out of it, right? Because you can sometimes, sometimes we do that. We, we make a, a big scene about how, how I go last and, I, and I'm, and I'm uh, humbling myself and letting everyone go before me. So I was trying not to draw any attention to me so I would quietly and uh, consistently try to sneak to the back of the line. And here's the kicker. 
I discovered that Jesus was right. right. There is true peace, a real joy, a tangible and genuine love for those around me that comes when I choose to be the least. Right? I felt this freedom from this rat race of trying to pursue being first. Man, and I, and I found this contentment that I felt like I was okay. I was okay with trusting whatever Jesus brought my way. Right? I was okay with whatever bed I slept in, whatever meal I ate. I was okay. And so when I didn't get the biggest slice of pizza, it was okay. I was content with what the Lord brought to me. Uh, in your groups this week, or even uh, this afternoon or sometime this week in your own quiet time, I want to encourage you to reflect on a few questions. I put these in the, in the Sunday guide so you have them there and we'll send them out in our, uh, in our email tomorrow. Question number one, what do my actions and words reveal about my true inner value system? All right, my actions and my words, especially when I'm, when I'm just acting out of my subconscious, they, they reveal what's going on with my true inner value system. What do yours say about your value system? Number two, how has my understanding of true greatness changed since following Jesus? How does it need to continue to change? This is a process, right? Becoming like Jesus, following the way of Jesus is a process that we go through. And so even though... Uh, when I chose to follow Jesus, a big chunk of my inner value system shifted. There were still aspects that needed to continue and still to this day need to continue to change. So how does your inner value system need to continue to change? Number three, what are some of the practical ways that I can practice becoming the least in order to put the needs of others in front of my own? Right, in your home, uh, at work, in our communities? Right? What are some of the practical ways? And it might seem silly. right? You might come up with an idea that, that feels silly, but it's not. Let the Holy Spirit work through, in you and work through you as you practice uh, discovering true greatness. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, You are truly the greatest. You redefined greatness for us and it's not about pursuing my own interests and being self-centered. It is about uh, pursuing the interests and the needs of others. It's about minimizing myself. It's about minimizing myself, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that our church would be known as a church that seeks the needs of others, that puts one another in front of our own selves. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.